and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about some trends in customer attitudes and behaviour. Yeah, well, it's probably a a very interesting moment, isn't it, in terms of where we are with the beginning of um, people returning to workplaces, those who, who have been in their normal workplaces, but it's probably a little bit of a moment also to take stock in the whole customer experience um, landscape. You know, what's changed? Where are we now? And perhaps what's going to change? Um, what's going to change going forward? Um, what what the figure saying, Stephen, in terms of some of the facts about um, customer satisfaction, customer sentiment, and just just general sort of macro data? Hmm. Yeah, well, the the UK CSI is our kind of go to place to understand how you know, UK PLC is doing in, in terms of meeting its customer needs. Um, and that's actually trended up in the most recent report, which was in, in July. Which is quite interesting because for a, a while it's been trending down, hasn't it? So yeah, it's really a recovery interesting. there. If you look at the long-term trend, it has this kind of um, mountain landscape <laughs> up and down shape. And it does seem to move in these waves. So it, it's not that it sort of shoots up and down, up and down, up and down, as you might expect if it was moving at random, effectively. It definitely has trends. And you can start to link those trends to, to things that are going on in, in the economy, um, in basically in the decisions the organisations are making about their strategy and in you know what's important to them. Um, so it, it does, to me, suggest that you know, having taken their eye off the ball a little bit, organisations have started to refocus on the customer. Yeah, and, and, and that would certainly fit in with a lot of the macro data we're seeing coming through in terms of spending patterns, some of the Bank of England information, economic growth. Um, I'm trying not to use the word recovery, but there certainly seems to be more activity going on and sometimes comparing things to 12 months ago when there was hardly any activity is probably a little bit of a false comparison but it does seem that um activity is in you know is is increasing it is and and when you mentioned consumer sentiment um we've also been tracking an index of consumer sentiment going back over three years now so back to october 2018 Um, and what's interesting about that is that it, ha- it is pretty much back now to its kind of pre-pandemic levels in terms of, so we asked about three things, right? Well, there's five questions that turn into three indices. There's the index of current economic conditions, which is basically how good you feel about, um, you know, your, your current financial situation and the economy at the moment. Yep. The index of consumer expectations, which is basically how, what do you feel about the economy in the future? Uh, and then... Yep. Putting those together is the index of consumer sentiment. So overall, how do you feel about your own finances and the, you know, the economic picture overall today and looking into the future? Those three are all heading upwards as well and supporting some of the economic data. They're all heading upwards, and and the pattern's actually really interesting. So I'll, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but um, we're going to sort of release a, a more detailed report. But in a nutshell, all three plummeted at the beginning of the pandemic. So sort of between January and April 2020, they absolutely fell off a cliff. The yeah. index of consumer confidence, so how are you feeling about the financial situation right now, actually got back, not all the way, but quite a lot of the way, really quite quickly. But the index of consumer expectations, i.e., how do you feel about the future, stayed low yeah. um, through most of 2020, and that was, that was a really interesting sort of distinction. 
they're both now kind of nearly back to what um sort of back to their the pre-pandemic levels and you would think those are pretty good lead indicators of what's going to happen because that's people's intention and sentiment how are they thinking about the world and with a little bit of a lag that's going to work its way through to how they're going to act behave and um, operate so how does that all fit into the world of customer satisfaction what do you think we've perhaps learned over the last few months when it comes to to satisfaction i mean i've heard various things and there's various reports going on about customers can be understanding but perhaps they don't like excuses there's a bit in complaint handling and, and just customers willing to pay more for good service which i think we'd probably say was was always the case but in terms of customer satisfaction what what's the situation now yeah so again i'll put a link to the um the sort of highlights of the uk csi in in the show notes but i think the things you've picked out were the kind of the, the top line stuff there so this idea that customers you know can be understanding but don't like excuses i think is in a way it's obvious because of course they don't like excuses but what i think is interesting about that is that that's that's kind of the the zeitgeist of how customers feel like at the beginning of the pandemic in a lot of ways, actually, companies did amazingly well, I think, as, as, as a whole. Yeah. But there were some things that you just physically, you know, you can't deal with that. You know, if, you, if your call centre yeah. is empty, you can't deal with call volumes and they've probably gone up. Um, if all your repairers are self-isolating, they can't go out and make repairs. So there the, the were just physical, you know, things that couldn't be dealt with. There was just no way of dealing with it. And customers totally got that. And they were very, very understanding about that. There was the kind of emergency situation Companies did do very well, but there were some things even so they couldn't deal with. And customers got that and were very understanding. Towards the end, I think, and we saw this kind of changing through 2020 and and but particularly going into 2021, getting beginning to wear a bit thin because even though some of the same situations apply, you know, even though you may have lots of people being pinked, you may have lots of people you know would love to work but aren't able to because of that, those sorts of situations still still apply. Customers now expect you to be able to work around that. You've had long enough to find a way. And I think it's not so much that patience is wearing out, I don't think. It's more that we're not in an emergency anymore. You know, this, this is, I know people keep using the phrase the new normal, but the, the, you should have built systems to deal with this by now. Particularly on the supply chain management things, I think one of the things that's, uh, that we're seeing now is which organisations control or manage the supply chain better than those others, because some organisations are struggling to deliver the service they want to, not because of them per se, but because of how the supply chain is, is performing. Um, and I think it's quite interesting because others aren't. Um, aren't struggling or are therefore managing the supply chain in a different way or have a different um, setup, which I think once again sort of links back to the value of um, the internal customer perspective and your supply chain management. Because I see it, with, you know, with our clients now, you know, lockdown, the pandemic, it, it, it's that moment of everyone hands to the pump has gone. It's now either this is the new norm or a form of the new norm, but it's back to business now. And I sort of expect a standard and I expect the same standard and others are doing that standard. It's not that everyone is, is, is in a sit is in the situation. I just wonder if it fundamentally comes back to something you and I talk a lot about trust and honesty. 
with mm. with customers and those moments when you make do i trust that organization um is that organization being honest with me probably the last 18 months or certainly perhaps even the last six months have really focused on yes they are or no they're not it's probably putting it under the microscope a bit more that honest approach i do really like this the concept of trust and one of the things i think that's really strong about it is that it has different components so honesty kind of integrity is a big part of it but it's not the only part and and i think you know some other things that come into trust are you know do you have the right skills are you kind of robust are you going to stick around if you're you know a supplier can i can i trust that you're still going to exist in a year's time those kind of things but I think another important one is feeling like you're looking after my interests. And I think as a yeah. customer, it, it doesn't matter how honest you're being. It's like, well, but why are you not investing in doing a good job for me then? Um, you know, that's part of trust as well. So I think there's, it's important to remember that, yeah, yes, the honesty is, is vital, but it's actually not enough. You know, being customer focused isn't just about being honest about your failings. It's about stopping failing you know that that is also part of building trust i wanted to pick up on that point about supply chains because i think it's really really important because i think one of the things we saw at the beginning of the pandemic is that there's a there's this kind of trade-off between efficiency and resilience in the way yeah. you structure a business and particularly the way you kind of organize your supply chains and if you're if you totally optimize for efficiency everything's just in time then that makes you very, very fragile to a shock. You know, so if you suddenly can't get the delivery drivers you need, or if your staff suddenly have to furlough or get pinged, then there's no slack. If you're super, if you're 100% efficient, there's no slack to deal with that. So I think organisations are maybe thinking about how they balance that because you obviously don't want loads and loads of slack. You don't want sort of 400% capacity just in case but it's very, very dangerous to be working at sort of 99% capacity because then you can't deal with the shock. It obviously was um, an unprecedented shock. How, how do you think organisations are going to respond to that going forward in terms of um, protecting the customer experience? Two questions there, I think, really. Right? How do I think they should and how will they? <laughs> Possibly two different things. I think for me... The really important thing is to see everything about the business as a system, like as lots of connections of moving parts. And it's, it, any decision you make anywhere in the business is going to have knock-on effects throughout the rest of the business. And if you if you if you sort of pretend that isn't the case, it's going to have knock-on unknown, unintended effects. The more you understand the system and try and make a, a you know a, a decision based on that whole system the better in control you're going to be. So I think it probably comes back really to a question of strategy. So are you trying to achieve success by building lasting relationships with the right kind of customer? Or, and this is sort of slightly simplifying it, or are you basically a commodity? In my view, at the extreme, those are the two options. And, and there's lots of nuance yeah. in a little bit, but basically, are you yeah. about relationships or are you about commodity, selling a commodity? Yeah. And if you're about the relationships, then for me, you've, you've got to see the customer experience as kind of, you know, foundational or in, in how you go about building those relationships, because ultimately, you know, people don't want a relationship with someone who keeps letting them down. And how do you think generally customers 
expectations how do you think they are at the moment and perhaps even like looking forward a a, a little bit how, how do you think they're going to change i know when we've looked back we saw different types of customers you know when lockdown was going to end some people were going to get out some were going to stay in and, the, and there were some very polarized views on that if you had to say how customers are viewing the world now what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on that Stephen? yeah going back to at the beginning of each year we do a, a sort of webinar about you know, the, the customer experience landscape. This is the way we th- see things going. Um, and at the beginning of 2020, we did one that absolutely did not see the pandemic coming and was just totally wrong, uh, which does show you yeah. that, you know, you, well, it wasn't totally wrong, but it, by missing the pandemic, really you've missed the big seismic event um, of 2020. So in January 2020, 2021, we did another webinar about the customer experience landscape 2021, which I think got more things right. So yeah, that's still up on the website for you to have a look at. And I think we are seeing through the pandemic customer attitudes and behaviours changing. And it is still a slightly open question to what extent those will stick. But I think it's fair to say that, that some of them will. And I think, you know, for example, we are seeing... There's a, there's a trend towards clearly more more of us will be working at home more of the time. That's just obvious, isn't it? And I think everyone yeah. agrees with that. There has also been some shifts in terms of people's priorities. So we, we've identified three lockdown segments, which are kind of live life, can't wait to get back to doing normal things, uh, protect life, I feel a bit scared about doing anything, and appreciate life, yeah. which is I'm actually going to think about what what's important to me, what do I value? Maybe it's more family and walks in nature and a bit less the rat race. And that segment is really interesting, which is about a third of the people uh, on our panel, because that ties in with some trends we're seeing in terms of people moving out of cities and into the countryside, maybe taking a bit of a pay cut, maybe resigning and starting up their own little business. And there's a bit of a red herring here. I think in we we focus on these tremendously fortunate, affluent people who who are making those kind of decisions, when actually the vast majority of people still doing what they've always done because what they're doing is working in a shop or driving a delivery van or dot 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 the people yeah. actually as we've discovered over the last couple of years keep society going don't have the choice to move to the country and retire and start a cheese business or, or not to work on a ward in a hospital <laughs> so i think we have to be very careful about so actually when we start talking about behavioral changes we tend to be talking about relatively affluent middle-class, white-collar people, not society in general. Uh, And I do think that's an important thing to always bear in mind. But all that said, I think we can see, you know, wider changes in behaviour in terms of, you know, all all shopping centres open up and people are allowed back in them, but they're not back to 100% usage. Uh, I don't think, I haven't seen the latest data on that, but I I suspect they never will, to be honest, because I think people have discovered actually online shopping is great or my local shop in the village, which I've never been to before, is really good. Um, and because I'm working at home now, I can, you know, nip round to the local cafe for lunch as well, instead of going to, you know, Pret-a-Manger in the city centre. So some of those behavioural trends, I think, will last at least to some extent. Yeah, it's interesting that, because I think one of the things is that's come out of the, the, the situation is I think it's probably accelerated what was going to happen with customers a- a- anyway in terms of the things they value, their, their working practices, but particularly the, the digital world, whether it's digital working at home or it, 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 it's, it's interacting with companies 
digitally. And I think it's just really compressed that into quite a, a short period of, of time. So, I mean, we, we talked previously about the, the different channels that, you know, that you can access your customer or the customer can access you or the consistency across those channels, are they all measured, you know, and the very much the channel hopping that people would mm-hmm. um, do, either shop online or, or search online and phone or go and buy in person, all, all those different sort of channels. Well, I think it's really just accelerated that through from the customer's perspective. And I think there's still a little bit of organizations just trying to catch up with, okay, we've got to manage this consistently. <laughs> um, our customers are going to channel hop more, you know, they're going to be more mobile, more digital, you know, we, we've got to cater for this. And I do think that's one of the things that the, um, the pandemic has done is really accelerate what we expect as customers, what might have taken three or four years to get there. We've now done it in a year. Absolutely. I, I was reading an article the other day about what Google search trends reveal about consumer sort of attitude and behaviours, um, which I always think is, is interesting because it's real data. It doesn't necessarily, there's a little bit of interpretation baked into it, but it does tell you what people are searching for, which is quite revealing. Again, I'll put the article in the show notes, but there are four sort of big trends, which are, first of all, people are using digital for their window shopping. So where people used to, you know, go and window shop in windows and then maybe buy online, but they, they were sort of looking at the shop windows for inspiration. There's now a lot more people Rather than going to the shops, if you're looking for a gift for your mum, you type into Google, you know, gifts for mum, or go on Pinterest, or those sorts of things. The second one, which I think is interesting, is there's a shift towards values, uh, as they put it. So, in other words, I'm looking for ethical companies or environmentally uh, sound companies or those sorts of things. So I think that's another big trend that we've seen coming up through things like UKCSI, but we've also seen in our own research on our panel, but it's also backed up by Google search trends, which I think is interesting. The other two trends were sort of convenience, i.e. ordering online actually turns out to be really, really easy. And, you know, this click and collect and all those sorts of things. Um, and the final one was unpredictability. And what, and what they mean by that is basically sudden big shifts in demand. For example, everyone suddenly gets into a new hobby because there's a trending TikTok video or something. Uh, so suddenly everyone discovers FX modeling or singing sea shanties or you know whatever the thing is. Yeah. Reflecting back on the customer experience landscape that you did at the beginning of the year, one of the observations was you talked quite a bit about the environment and the environmental side of, of that and what's happened recently with sort of governments and the view on the environment. What's your sort of views on how that's going to link into particularly sort of customers' views of the world and, and customer satisfaction? I think trying to pull it back to sort of customer satisfaction, you know, you know, what are our listeners, what are our clients going to perhaps see coming around the corner when it comes to customers and the environment? Yeah, I think it's interesting. There's definite strong signals coming through from all sorts of places that customers are are really beginning to think about environmental questions. And I think the scary thing for companies is they see it as your responsibility, not their responsibility. And that's obviously a generalization. There are many very sort of you know conscious customers who are thinking about their own behavior. But I think as a rule, most customers are thinking, what are you doing? So that I don't have to think about it. And 
as a general rule, always the, the, the sort of the question on this is, are people willing to pay for that if it costs to be more environmental friendly? And I realise there's a whole debate on that. And a lot of people would say, actually, it costs less to be environmental friendly if you take the bigger picture. But if the price of what I buy has to go up, am I willing to do that as a customer? And I think the answer to that is, it depends. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to say that. So, so I think there's a minority who absolutely will and always have. I think there's a majority that will probably pay a little bit, but not very much. So I think if we think of a couple of examples, let's take green energy, which was a very niche product. If you went back perhaps 20 years, a minority of customers would be prepared to pay a bit more to have properly green energy. Um, I don't want to get into detail about what properly green energy, but real, real green energy. Whereas I think that that proportion has grown and grown and grown and grown. And probably the cost difference has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. So I think that in a way, the two things move together, don't they? Yeah. A good analogy, I think, is Hellman's mayonnaise, because right. there was a big thing, probably going back maybe even 10 years now, but perhaps not quite as much as that, about free range eggs. And so there's a big campaign with Hugh Fernley Whittingstall and Jamie Oliver and you know, lots of people talking about free range eggs and you know why battery hens are, are cruel and, and we don't want that. And consumer sentiment sort of very quickly shifted quite strongly from oh no free range eggs are expensive to yeah actually they're not that expensive we'll always buy free range eggs and actually why hellman's are you using non-free range eggs and so one of i can't remember which one but one of you fernie whittingstall or jamie oliver went and spoke to hellman's on their program and they were saying yeah the supply chain just isn't there we can't we can't do it we'd love to use free range eggs but we physically can't and yet let's say three six months later suddenly they could and it's interesting. I don't know the ins and outs of how that happened, but I suspect the answer is when there's enough consumer pressure, a company of the size of Hellman's can find a way to make its supply chain work for free range eggs if it wants to. If, if So in other words, I think A, consumer sentiment can shift quite quickly and B, when it does, big brands can move quite quickly as well. And as you're talking about that, I think it links back to the previous point. I think that is more what we're going to see, this the unpredictability, but perhaps lurches here, there, here, there, in a way we didn't see before. And, and digital plays a part into that as, as we, you know, as we all get access to more information and people's voices can be heard more. So I do think perhaps going forward, for organisations and thinking about client satisfaction, it just makes me things like the things like the customer customer journey mapping are just so important now because I think if before we had a sort of a fairly stationary view of how customers would interact with us this way, perhaps they'll go there, perhaps they'll do this. There might be a couple of variations, but we understand it. But I just think this is going to be shaped up as things come along now, whether it's supply chains needed looking at or a new demand here, or we expect that or flipping heck, we didn't see that coming along with our, our product. Quite an interesting experience. Um, when I had a real job, I, for a period of time, worked in a box factory, a cardboard box factory, produced brown boxes. And everyone considered it was a absolutely dying trade. You know, you know, who wants brown boxes anymore? Can't get them now. Absolutely cannot get them now. And no one sort of, you know, and the demand for them at the moment is obviously absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, the, the people who sort of stayed in that market have done really well. But again, I, th I think it, it it's not trying to predict the future. It's trying to 
have a organization that's responsive enough to change to the future quickly and having that flexibility in there having that agility in there yes seeing the signs early but but really being able to sort of pick that up and i think very much the i mean we, we would always say this but just continually speaking to customers understanding customers and their changing needs because i think we're going to go to a period of do you know what i think they might be changing quite rapidly here or not but the best way is just to keep in contact with them because i think there is you know a lot of change the ripples will be going on for a while yet so those organizations that do frequently listen engage and try and understand their customers are just going to pick up the the, the sort of signals so much quicker to sort of carry on your point really i think what's what we talked about today has been a mixture of kind of, if you like, real data, you know, sort of big data from Google search trends and that kind of attitudinal data from talking to customers, whether it's on our panel or through UKCSI or um, just with, you know, ad hoc research with your own customers. And I think there's a lot of, a good way of thinking about it, I think, is that, you know, the behavioral data, the search histories and, or, or you know, actual trends about what people are doing, where they're going, that sort of stuff gives you the what, but the talking to them gives you the why, if you get the questions right. And I think for me, a lot of bad market research asks customers the what, which they're not very good at knowing, and it doesn't ask them the why, which is, which they, they well, if you get the questions right, you can get towards. And I think by blending, you know, data behaviors with market research that tells you why are they behaving that way? How are they thinking? That's where you get the real insight that enables you to react and plan and make strategic decisions that will be successful in the long run. So on that note, uh, it's probably a good place to wrap up. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com.